thank you for aligning yourself with heaven today. You guys doing good? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's get into the word. We are, we are continuing on the topic of experiencing God. Jesus. He's the reason for every season. I have, uh, in preparation for this message, for experiencing God, I've got to be honest with you. Every time I try to prepare, I couldn't prepare. It just felt like God just took over. And that's a good thing. Right? Every time I would just think, even think of preparing, he would just rush in like a river. And I guess I'd just get lost in the river. Right? I know where we're going to start. I have no idea where we're going to end up. Okay? But let me tell you what I know. Oh, the Father, oh, he loves you so much. This I'm so, so sure of. I'm absolutely sure of. He, he overflows with love for you. He overflows with love for you to the point that you can't contain it. It's impossible. It's impossible. I, I, I'm giving you a guarantee. It's impossible to contain his love for you. Like uh, Romans, it says that you can gather up all the containers in this world and it still won't be enough for the love that God pours out through the Holy Spirit for you. All the containers in the world. You know, David says, uh, Oh God, what is man that you're so mindful of me? Mindful of me. God has, I don't know how many thoughts, Pastor John told us how many thoughts we have, but God, how many thoughts would he have? And his mind is full of man. His mind is so full of man and so focused on man that even angels are watching and wondering why. What's so special about them? Why them? And every thought is good. Every thought is good. Like all the sand on the seashore and all the sand in this world, all the grains of sand on the planet, and God still has more thoughts for you. And every thought is good. That's what I know about the Father's heart towards us. Okay. So, I feel like today, the Father has prepared a love fest for us. It's a buffet. It's a feast. It's a love fest. Okay? But there's a catch. The feast is going to be served on a roller coaster. <laughs> it's not the kind of roller coaster you see outside. Yeah? All the metal and stuff. But this roller coaster is called Grace. You're strapped in and you're honest only with the word of truth, with Jesus himself. That's your only anchor. Okay? And the cool thing is there's no tracks. But you're in the river of life. <laughs> now this river, it goes up a mountain, it comes down the mountain. And then it goes, through, it goes below a mountain, underwater, and then it comes up to level ground. And then it gets flung high into the galaxies, and then it comes down again. And you can't keep yourself on the roller coaster. Only the word of truth will keep you there. 
It's, it's grace. You've got to trust him. Okay? And while you're on this ride, guess what? <laughs> Try to feast. It's a love fest. It's an open buffet. <laughs> okay, now. Did you notice how to, today's service was so much about the heavenly? You see, our language is changing, and it's a good thing. You know, when our language changes and it's, it's more about the heavenlies, guess what shows up? You see, a few years ago, when they started talking about augmented reality and virtual reality, it's like, what's this thing? But the more they spoke about it, the more it came into being. A few years ago, people were talking about 5G, and we're like, what 5G? It's going it's to take a lot of time for 5G to get here. But 5G is just around the corner now. It's going to be normal for everybody. See, the beauty of the grace of God is that he speaks first before it manifests. And the more we talk about it, it becomes a reality for everyone and not just a select few. Everyone gets to experience the grace of God. So what's happening with us right now, if you've noticed, the word that Pastor John gave us about encounters and the angelic and heaven, you know what's becoming real in our midst. See, all of us are going to start going into encounters. All of us. It's not just the people who have this mic and stand up on pulpits and platforms all over the world and have YouTube channels. I, I, I want this to, wait, I'll stop here. I want this to go deep. It doesn't matter what your job is. God wants to encounter everybody. Everybody. And when I say everybody, if you're wondering, me? Encounter God? Yes. Especially you. You see, Jesus didn't come and die and go to heaven so that only prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists and pastors could have heavenly encounters. It's for every single child of God. And I'm, if you work in a bank, God has encounters destined for you. If you work as a driver, God has encounters destined for you. If you own a business, God is desperate to encounter you. Give me some more professions. Logistics, he wants to encounter you in logistics. You work in the metro, he wants to encounter you there. You work in a mall, he wants to encounter you there. Do you work in a hospital? He wants to encounter you there. Oh, hold on a minute. You don't work? Amazing. He still wants to encounter you. Housewives? He wants to encounter you. Oh, hold on. You go to school? Beautiful. God wants to encounter you. Do you go to sleep? Wonderful. Especially wonderful because God loves to encounter people when they sleep. 
I'll tell you something. God, uh, see, with me, God doesn't care about my sleep. With my wife, he does. Because me, he has no problem waking me up from my sleep and encountering me in the middle of the night. My wife, he won't touch her till she wakes up. But that's the arrangement, the personal arrangement we have with God. When I go to sleep, I say, God, come anytime. Wake me up anytime. When she goes to sleep, she tells me, you better not wake me up anytime. No, I'm just joking. She doesn't do that. She doesn't. No, no, no. She doesn't do that. But I'm just saying, this is our personal arrangement with God. Right? So yeah, do you go to sleep? Wonderful. Do you walk? Do you walk from here today? Guess what? God wants to walk by your side. And he wants to talk to you. How many hours a day do you work? Eight hours? Brilliant. He wants four hours of your time. He wants to come and sit with you in the office and he wants to have a chat with you. And while he's chatting with you, you're still doing your work. And you realize in four hours, you've done eight hours worth of work while in communion with the Father. Oh, is work troublesome for you? Is it stressful? Let Jesus come in. And trust me, time will fly. Bang! And when it's five o'clock, you'll be like, I don't feel like I've done any work today. Because I've just been in communion with the Father the whole day. I feel like he's just been talking to me the whole day. I just sense his presence. And there's just conversation going back and forth. He's talking to me, I'm talking to him. But he's talking more because he's the word of God, obviously. He has more to say than I have to say. I have two ears, it's better I listen. God wants to encounter you wherever you are. Your social status doesn't matter. Your financial status doesn't matter. Your emotional status doesn't matter. It matters to him, but it doesn't matter for the sake of encounters. He's with all of us all the time. And he's going to crash in on our world much more than we expect. All right. Is that good or what? That's not part of my message. All right. You guys have your smartphones? And the others who have those, those Bibles? The paperback Bibles? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not making fun of you. They're both the Word of God. Smartphones. Can I see smartphones, Bibles? Okay. And the other ones? I've got both. <laughs> and so do you. Okay. Let's go. We'll begin in the beginning. John chapter 1. You guys are wondering, John chapter 1, the beginning? this guy is saying. Thank you. I'm going to read out to you from the Passion Translation, okay? Just track with me if you can. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. This is speaking of Jesus, right? Jesus Christ, the Word of God. The living expression was already there in the very beginning. This is before the Genesis in the beginning. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. Pause. Now because of the language that we are coming into, heavenly language, you're going to find statements that seem to contradict each other, but they're not really contradicting each other. Because see, this world, right, the natural realm, 
is what we would call 2D as compared to 3D. 3D, everything is up close and real and it's like, uh, it's like another realm, right? But it's superimposed on this realm, yes? So 2D is like what you can touch and feel and 3D is something that's superimposed, but they're both real, okay? So for example, in this realm, we see in color, in black and white, everything is left or right, everything is correct or wrong, it's yes or no, right? It's linear thinking. It's what we call earthly thinking, or to some people, it's what they call the Greek mindset, right? Everything has to be, it's this or this. It's like, God, what's your will for me? You want me to do this or this, right? And God says yes. Now with heaven, heaven does not think like that. Heaven doesn't say it's like this or it's like that. I'll give you an example. Is Jesus in heaven right now? Like, guys, uh, okay, thank you. Thank you very much. If, if I have to do that, you know, my neck. If you, hear me, if you hear me say the words grace, I want you to shout back grace. 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 Yes. Okay. Is Jesus in heaven right now? Okay. What does he look like? Is he the resurrected king? Yes. I, I'm not tricking you. I'm, I'm not tricking you. Yes. He is a resurrected king. Does he have glowing? Yes. Uh, are his eyes like fire? Yes. yes. Does he look like a lamb? Ah, you're not sure. Yes. But does he look like a lamb with seven eyes? A lamb with seven horns? Okay, so is he, does he look like a resurrected king with glowing uh, robes of righteousness or does he look like a lamb that was slain? Both are true. See, with heaven, it, for us, it feels like it's all these different versions, but they're all true. So if we ask Jesus, Jesus, uh, are, are you with the one with the glowing robes? He'll say yes. And then you say, are you the one, uh, like the lamb that was slain with seven arms and seven eyes? And he'll say yes. And then you, you ask him, but are you glowing robes, Jesus? Or are you lamb with seven arms and seven eyes, Jesus? And he'll say yes. <laughs> You're getting where I'm going. All of it is true. All of it is real. And that is what we are stepping into. We'll get it, don't worry, it's okay. Okay, another one. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. yes. Is Jesus the Son of Man? Yes. So is Jesus the Son of God or the Son of Man? Yes. The answer is yes. Thank you very much. That was quick. So, the living expression was with God. Yet, fully God. Yes. They were together, face to face, in the very beginning. Make a mental note. Face to face. Face to face, in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has, exist, has existence apart from him. So, everything that has been made has come from the word. 
from the living expression, Jesus Christ himself. And there's nothing that's been made, nothing that's been made without him. Good. If you go down a little bit uh, to verse 11, he came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. Let's stop. First thing, he came. Jesus came. Jesus came to the very people who should have recognized him, to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. But those who embraced him, received him, and took hold of his name, were given authority to become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but he was born of God. Now, verse 15. John, who's in Sydney right now. <laughs> John, John the Baptist, taught the truth about him when he announced to the people and said, he's the one. Set your hearts on him. Mental note, he's the one. Set your hearts on him. I told you he would come after me, even though he ranks far above me, for he existed before I was even born. John the Baptist was born before Jesus. But he's saying, Jesus existed before me. Come on. Verse uh, 16. And now, out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. Out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. And from him, we receive grace. Heaped upon more grace. <laughs> Okay, let's just look at this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living expression of God, the Word of God, existed from the very beginning of time. He comes down to earth to the ones who should have recognized him, but they did not. He came. They didn't recognize him. They should have received him and embraced him, but they couldn't. But to the ones who did, he gave them a certain privilege right? But he's the one who came to give us grace upon more grace. So the word of God comes to you. You don't go to it. That itself is grace. The word of God comes to you. And what does it do? It gives you grace and more grace. Grace and more grace. And what does that grace do? It takes you into even deeper grace in the word of God. Cool. It's okay. Romans chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read out from a different version. This is the message version. Uh, if you don't have it, you can listen. 
This is what Paul says. So, how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God, got God to approve him, he could have certainly taken credit for it. But the story we are given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is this. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. See, Paul is saying that the story about Abraham, that we know about Abraham, the father of our faith, I love Abraham. I honor him because he's the father of our faith. We have such a rich, such a rich inheritance because of him, because of what God did in his life. Anyways, so the story about Abraham is not a story that has been told by Abraham. It's a story that's been told by God himself, by what God decided to do for Abraham and not what Abraham did for God. We've got to make the switch here. It's not something that we do for God that gets us into right standing with him. It's his desire. It's his choice. It's what he wants to do. So God comes to Abraham. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 11. 12. See, Genesis chapter 11 ends with the genealogy of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, it starts with this. Now in Haran, the Lord said to Abraham, go for yourselves away from your country, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name famous and you will be a blessing to others. And he goes on and on and on and he so what's happening here? What did Abraham do to deserve this? Nothing. This, sorry, this was God's decision. It was God's pure choice. God comes to Abraham and he speaks to him and he gives him a, a promise. He gives him a word. But what did Abraham do next? He responded. How do we know he responded? Because the Bible goes on to say that he got up and he left. See, the word of God comes with grace. Abraham had the grace. He received the grace of God in the word of God to do what the, Lord, the word asked him to do. And because of that, he was able to respond. Right? Okay. Good. Okay. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. Saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield your abundant compensation and your reward shall be exceedingly great. Stop. 
the first time God comes to Abraham, he speaks to him. Abraham responds. But the next time he comes to him in a vision. A vision is an appearance. It's a manifested reality. So God manifested to Abraham now. So what happened is the word came, God came to Abraham. Abraham responds. But it takes him into what? It takes him deeper into God. He has a vision. And he gets another word. And more grace. Chapter 18. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks or terebinths of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood at a little distance from him. He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant, I beg of you. And he goes on to say, please come and join me for some food. I'll refresh your hearts. And it says that the Lord and two angels sat down to a meal and Abraham fed them. And they left, right? The first time God came to Abraham, he gave him a word. Abraham responded. The second time, God appears to him in a vision. He responds. Now, and there's more like this. Now, physically, not just God. You all have angels, right? Even God has his own personal angels. Those were the angels of the Lord next to him. Now they came to Abraham in the physical form and he recognized them from a distance and he ran to them. But did he come to them first or did God come to him? And he got to sit down and serve food and drink and refresh the heart of God. Let's go for a twist. You guys ready for a twist? Genesis 19. Sorry. Where was I? Yeah, Genesis 19. So before Genesis 19, uh, towards the end of Genesis 18, God stops and they have a conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? About the issues that's happened in the city. You know, God says, he stops and he says, He's my friend. I'm not going to keep anything from him. He's going to be a great nation. But he's my friend. So I'm going to tell him what's going to happen. Friendship. God comes and offers Abraham a word. An invitation. Abraham responds. And he eventually becomes a friend of God. You think it was Abraham's desire to be a friend of God? Yes. No. Maybe. But it was definitely God's desire to be a friend of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of our faith. And we are children of the faith. Here's a twist. Genesis 19. It was evening when the two angels came to Sodom. 
Hold on a minute. I thought God and the angels were going to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he told Abraham. He said, I've come. God says to Abraham, I've come because I'm on my way to that city. But Genesis 19 says, the two angels are on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. Where's God? I know one thing for sure. He made an appearance just for his friend Abraham. Let's go to another story. Is that good? Yeah. You guys doing good so far? Yeah. You want to pick up the pace? Yeah. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back or the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And God goes on to speak to him. What happened? Moses is a shepherd now, right? He comes up to a mountain. Uh, probably his normal duty, his job. Just like what Abraham, he was just hanging around. Moses is just hanging around with his sheep. And he sees this burning bush. It's on fire. But he's wondering, why is this bush not being consumed? Like it's burning, but it's not deteriorating, right? It's still, it's still there. And he says, I will now turn aside to see. And it says, when God saw that, he called out to him. So did God appear to Moses? He did. This is a proper manifestation. He appeared. Did Moses respond? Did God speak to him? Yes. Did he give him a promise after that? Yes. So did he give him grace? And more grace? Yes. Come on. Exodus 33. Verse 9. This is further down in the story. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent, and the Lord would talk with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud stand at the tent door, and all the people rose up and worshipped, every man at his tent door. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses. It wasn't Moses' choice. He was just doing his thing in the desert. But God, out of his desire for friendship with this man, appears to him. But when he sees that this man responds, 
or turns around, he calls him by name. He says, Moses, Moses. And he replies, here I am, I'm here. And God speaks to him and gives him a promise. And then later on in the story, they build this tent where people who wanted to encounter God, or it was called basically the dwelling place of God, right? God would come into this, into this tent in a cloud. But this man, Moses, would go into the tent too. He would go inside and God would speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. You see the progression in their relationship from that burning bush to now friends. And it was not Moses who called God a friend. It was God who said, this is my friend. Let's look at one more. Numbers chapter 12. You guys are like, is there a book called Numbers in the Bible? Yes, there is. It's all about the numbers. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, gentle, kind, and humble. Or he was above all the men on the face of the earth. What? He's humble, he's meek, and he's gentle, but he's above all the men on the face of the earth. That's the kingdom. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the tent door and called Aaron and Miriam, and they came forward. And he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and speak to him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is entrusted and faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth or face to face. I speak to him clearly and not in dark speeches. And he beholds the form of the Lord. You see, we see the father's burning heart. We see the heart of the father in all of this. Where he comes to his people. He comes to those he wants to have friendship with. And guess what? He doesn't enforce his friendship upon the people that he desires friendship with. He gives them an invitation. He calls them by name. He gives them a promise. That's bonus. He gives them a promise. And he looks to see if they will respond. And as they respond, he takes them deeper into him. And then things like these happen where they say, he's a friend of God. God says, that's my friend. I want to look at one more? Let's go to Samuel. I love Samuel. First Samuel chapter 3. 
Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was rare and precious in those days. There was no frequent or widely spread vision. If you go down, the lamp of God had not yet gone out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was lying down. When the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I. You did call me. Eli answered, I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel the third time. And he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. At this point, Samuel doesn't know God. He, he's ministering in the temple. He's ministering to God. And he's been ministering to God from a very small age. But he doesn't know God. Because the word of the Lord has not been revealed to him. And God speaks to Samuel. He calls him by name, right? And Samuel hears the word, but he runs to Eli. Wrong response, but in a way good response. Because Eli, the third time he realizes, oh, wait a minute. The last time this happened was a very long time ago. Because there was no widespread revelation of the Lord. And something kicks in his brain cells. And he's like, okay, okay. I think the Lord is speaking to you. So go back and lie down, and if you hear him again, say, if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now check out verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The Lord came and stood. The Lord came and stood and called Samuel. And Samuel didn't see him. And he's lying down. That's some next level friendship. God came to Samuel. Where he's lying down. And he stood there. That's what it says. As, as at previous times. And he says, Samuel. Samuel. <laughs> yes, you call me. And Eli's like, no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. And he's like, no, I didn't call you. And go lie down again. But when he responded, he said, I'm listening. Speak to me. Right? Then he gets the promise from God. I want you to go to verse 19. Samuel grew. The Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. Verse 21, and the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh through the word of the Lord.
you see how that friendship progresses. But Samuel didn't initiate that. God did. God comes and calls him by name. And he responds. He said, I'm here. What do you want? No qualifications. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, no qualifications. God comes to them. And he speaks to them. He calls them. He says, hey, I'd like to be your friend. Would you like to be mine? And they respond. But with Samuel, the Lord stays with him. He stays with Samuel. And people in the area, they come to encounter God because of the relationship between Samuel and the Lord. See, the word comes to you. It comes specifically to you. And you have the opportunity to respond. But embedded in the word is the grace of God. And as you respond, it takes you into more grace. It takes you into deeper grace. It takes you more into encounters with God. It takes you into visions. It takes you into visitations. It takes you into dreams. And becomes a walk with God where God stays with you. This is the heart of God. He wants you. He burns for you. And he will never overpower your will. And the will that you require to do his will, he'll give you grace for that as well. Grace. 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 You guys want to look at another one? Elijah. First Kings 19. Where is First Kings 19? There it is. This is going to be an interesting one. The angel of the Lord came the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. To Horeb, the Mount of God, the same place where Moses encountered God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the word of the Lord has already come, and it's talking to him. The word is speaking to Elijah, saying, what are you doing here? Elijah speaks back, right? He says, this is what I've done, and I'm in kind of a mess. I don't see you around. Verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle stillness and a still, small voice. 
When Elijah heard the voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. Interesting story. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And he goes and stands out of, outside the cave. And it says the Lord passes by, but the Lord is not there. Until he hears the still, small voice. It's possible for you to hear the word of God. And the only reason you hear it is because the word of God wants to take you deeper. The same thing that happened with Elijah. God is speaking to him. But God's desire is to take him deeper into that place of intimacy, that still small voice where there's place only for two, for God and for you. Interesting. Okay. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews So, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. Mm. we just seen that. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us, say to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly. In the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and all time. So in the days before, in the days of the prophets, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Samuel, God was speaking in different ways and at different times, giving them fragments of truth one at a time. And they still went into such deep intimacy and friendship with God by responding to him. But Hebrews is saying now, to us who are living in the last days, God is speaking to us in the language of a son. So if you want to hear God speak, just look at the son. That's what it's saying. God was revealing not a fragment at a time, but his whole self through the sun. Let's look at the sun. Just, uh, let's just look at, let's look at Jesus. Yeah? Good idea? Awesome. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18. As he was walking by the shore of Lake Galilee, Jesus noticed two fishermen who were brothers. One was nicknamed Peter, and the other was Andrew, his brother. Watching as they were casting their nets into the water, Jesus called out to them and said, Come and follow me, and I will transform you into men, 
who catch people for God. Immediately, they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. And it goes on. Jesus called Jacob and John to his side and said to them, Come and follow me. And at once they left their boat and their father and began to follow Jesus. You see what's happening? See, in the beginning, with Abraham and everybody, God came to them and spoke to them, right? Do you see the son do the same thing? The son comes to Peter. He comes to Andrew. He comes to Jacob. Jacob. He comes to John. And he gives out an invitation. He says, come. Follow me. And it says they dropped their nets, they left their father, and they followed him. But you see where that progressed into? Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. Who's in the Passion Translation? Okay, we are reading out from the Passion. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. So they went up the mountainside to join him. He appointed the twelve whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends. And so that he could send them out to preach. This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is the language that God is speaking about, or Paul is speaking about in Hebrews. He says, this Son comes to the earth, and he extends an invitation and says, come, follow me. And of course, he knows them by name, come, follow me. But in Mark chapter 3, it says, he climbs up a mountainside, and the, the express desire of his heart is, hey, come. I want you to be close companions with me. I want you and me to be friends. You see, the nature of the Father of God has not changed since the very beginning of time. His desire for us is for us. And his desire is for us to be close companions with him. If we would respond to his call. The thing is, because of church terminology, we think the call means, oh, I'm called to be somebody, like I'm called to be a prophet or an evangelist or a music producer or a director or an inventor. We think that's the call. And sure, that is part of your purpose. But when God is calling you, he wants to give you the best thing possible. And that's himself, his friendship. Let's go to John chapter 15.
You remember that verse that said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends? Ah, it sounds a little weird. Because Mark chapter 3 says that God wanted them to be his friends. So when did they become servants and then graduate to friendship? We think that we have to go through the route of, I want to be a servant, God, make me a slave first, and so I'll graduate into friendship. Which kingdom is that of? I don't think there's a kingdom where slaves graduate to friends. It sounds dysfunctional. Passion translation, John 15, verse 14. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. Verse 15. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me. But I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last. Because whatever you ask of my father, for my sake, he will give it to you. I'm sorry if you've been told that you have to graduate from servanthood to friendship. I apologize on behalf of whoever said that to you. That is a clear misrepresentation of the heart of God. See, friends can choose to serve. Servants don't get to choose to serve. If you're a servant, you're going to hate your job. You're going to hate serving because you have to do it to earn your daily wage. But see, God, Jesus, he lays down his life for his disciples and he gives them the choice to serve him. But in the choice, the word, he embeds grace. And these guys, these 12 minus one, they went on to turn the world upside down these guys. <laughs> because the best people that serve are not servants. They're friends of God. <laughs> Anyways, this is not about the friends of God. This is about God himself and his heart. His heart is that, hey, I desire friendship with you. I desire Intimacy. I, I chose you. I've commissioned you. You didn't choose me. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you didn't choose me. It doesn't matter if you believe in me or not. That's what God is saying to the whole world. We, we are trying to go around evangelizing people into the kingdom by saying, choose God, choose God. Believe today or you will die. Believe today, believe today. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Ah. 
Jesus is saying, hey, uh, can we be friends? I'll take care of everything that's on the way. If there's an obstacle, I'll take care of it. But between you and me, no barriers. No barriers. Come on. Jesus. So good. Whew. Okay. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. We're going to twist this up a little bit. Uh, because God is good. Because grace, 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 grace. 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 Verse 27. It's very important that we see God for who he is. Because then we just go down this river called grace. Ah. He takes away all the striving. Ooh. You can't do anything to earn God's love. So stop trying. He already loves you. Jesus says in verse 27, it says this. Jesus resumed talking to the people. Message version. But now, tenderly. Ooh. Shaba. I love that. Tenderly. And he says this, the Father has given me all these things to do and say. He's given it to me, Jesus. He says, this is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. Here's the invitation. But I'm not keeping it to myself. The father and son intimacy. Jesus says, nobody knows the father the way I do. I know him perfectly. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen. Come on! Woo! Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's good news. Yeah. Jesus is saying, hey, I know the Father perfectly. I know him perfectly, 100%. I don't have any presumptions about him. But guess what? I'm not keeping this intimacy to myself. I'm willing to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen, not just Abraham, not just Moses. Not just David. Are you anyone? <laughs> God is willing. Jesus is willing to go line by line with you about the Father. He's saying, hey, me and the Father, we share a perfect relationship. That the whole world is jealous of. The kind of relationship that you want. But guess what? You're invited. <laughs> Here's the kicker. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? And then he says, come to me. The invitation, come to me. 
get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus, and you learn to live freely and lightly. Oh my gosh, I told you this roller coaster was called Grace. Anybody trying to impress God in this room? You have permission from the King of Kings who's made everything like everything. He's saying, hey, chill. I've got this. He's saying, just be light and free. You don't need to put, put up any appearances in front of me. You don't need to do hula hoop dances for me. You don't need to lose your voice. You don't need to do anything of that. He says, come, let's go for a walk. He's saying, chill. I'm sorry if somebody told you otherwise. Uh, uh, I'll make the apology on their behalf. Will you forgive those who told you that God was heavy and harsh and hard and angry at you? And that you have to measure up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry on their behalf. Will you forgive them? Let them go? You're free today. Have you messed up? Good. God's taking care of that also. You see, there's no list of qualifications, if you noticed, for those who want to get to know the Father better or Jesus. He said, I'll go line by line with anybody who's willing to listen. Yeah. But there's a condition. You've got to respond. Yeah. He says, come. Yeah. Let's do it my way. Because yeah. my way is better than your way. Oh. My way is better for you than your way. So all your plans and all your purposes, don't throw them away. Go talk to him about it. Yeah. He's willing to listen. Whatever's on your heart, he cares. You know, all the betrayal that you've gone through, he cares. He does, he does, he, he cares very much. You know that promotion that you didn't get, that they walked over you for? He's seen that. He cares. You know that family member that you lost? when you thought it was not their time. He's seen that. He's taken note of your heart. This is the God we serve. This is the God we choose to serve. I can see you guys just absorbing the grace of God. Go ahead, receive it. Just say thank you, God. 
You know your, your, your anxiety over the future? Oh my God, no money, what to do? I've not planned. I've not, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. He's got it covered. But you've got to go to him. He's already extended the invitation. See, God comes with this condition. He says, it's all of me and you've got to cling on to me with both hands. You can't cling on to me with one hand and to your worries with the other hand. Because there's, you know, there's no closeness between your worries and God. They don't come close. Because God doesn't worry. He is peace. He's love. He's patient. He's gentle. He's patient with you. You worried about character flaws? <laughs> He's not. He doesn't seem to be stressing. He's not manifesting about your junk. That's how in control he is. He's God. He made everything. <laughs> you know, when he created the world, he knew that you would be sitting here. He knew the thoughts that you would be thinking right now. That's how perfect his knowledge is. He knew, and he still died for you. Grace, 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 grace. Thank you, Jesus. You're pleased with us. Thank you. You call us your friends. Okay. Luke chapter 12, message version, verse 29. This is, you know, the context of this, what Jesus is saying is, after he talks about worrying and being anxious for what you will wear and what you will eat and all of those things, right? That's, this is what he, he says after that. He says, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. Oh, you guys know FOMO? FOMO. Youngsters, millennials in the house. Youngsters, FOMO, fear of missing out. Jesus is saying, don't worry. You're not going to miss out on every, anything, anything. He says, don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Maybe if you wake up in the morning and you don't take that step, finish. Kingdom come, kingdom gone. Kalas, I missed the train. Let me tell you something. The grace train, the roller coaster, the grace roller coaster, it started at the beginning of time. And it's just been piling up carriage after carriage after carriage after carriage after carriage after carriage after carriage. 
And as many as many people want to get into that grace train, it just adds another carriage. It never runs out. You'll never miss out on the kingdom. All you need to do is trust him. Are you relaxing? Come on. Let's just look at that one. There was one line there. What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. I want to show you what that looks like. Tissue box. Okay, Jacob, can you help? Stand here. Okay. Guys, Jacob. This is how you greet Jacob? Really? I've seen Jacob serve you guys. This is how you greet him? Thank you. Water of life. Don't be so preoccupied with getting. Jacob, get that. So you can respond to God's giving. No, no, wait, wait. God is giving you something, but you're preoccupied with getting. If you're preoccupied with getting, you can't see what he's giving. Preoccupied. Because you're trying to get something from God. But he's saying, I'm giving you something. You can't keep your eyes on both. Right? Don't be preoccupied with getting stuff from God. You can't get anything from him. He gives it to you freely. You've got to receive. Receive. Okay. Can I have the water, please? Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. You see the difference? That's what he says. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, wear, future. He is your future. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Was that? The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the What's God giving you? Holy Spirit. He's giving you Holy Spirit. Don't listen to me. Let's look at the word. Never listen to me. Let's always go to the word. Ooh, yeah. John 14. Thank you, God. So good. Verse 16, passion. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior. Ooh, Savior. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend, just like me, and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. But you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside you. Yeah. 
I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans, but I will come to you. John chapter 16, verse 7. But here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Another version says, it's better for you that I go away. For if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 12. And there is so much more I would like to say to you. But it's more than you can grasp at this moment. But when, this, when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. What's happening is Jesus is saying, hey, wouldn't you like to have Jesus in the flesh right here? Right? It'd be good, no? It'd be good. Yeah. It'd be awesome. But he's saying, hey, it's better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Come on, Jesus. If you're here, you need to stay. There's nothing better than you staying here. Please. Right? But Jesus is saying to his disciples, no, no, no. It's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the spirit of truth will not come. And then he goes on to say, two chapters later, that when he comes, but this is the best thing. He says, I still have more to say to you. I have more for you. The word of God is saying, I have more for you. But you can't handle it right now. It's too heavy. It's precious. But when he comes, he will reveal it to you within. You see, from the beginning of time, God has constantly been coming to different people at different times. And he's been giving them word of himself, right? The word of, he's been giving word, 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 invitation. Come follow me. Come, let's be friends. Let's take a walk together. Relax. Let's you and I get to know each other, even though I know you really well. And he's been inviting people into deeper levels of friendship and intimacy. But in those relationships, it's only you and God. It's you and God. And he's inviting you deeper and deeper. And now he's telling the disciples, after he's been friends with them for so many years, and he says that there's no greater love that you could have than that a man would lay down his life for you. And he demonstrates it. And he says, the greatest love you will receive will come from me. Come and he proves it, right? But before that, he says, I want to give you, again, God is going to give you the Holy Spirit so that he can now speak to you within. Now, he will reveal truth to you. He'll open it up. He'll unveil it. In fact, he will encourage you when you're down. He will strengthen you when you're weak. He'll love on you when you feel hated. 
he'll make you feel safe when you feel you're not safe, you're in a very scary situation. He will pray for you. He is your intercessor. Yeah, that's what it says. He, Holy Spirit will intercede for you. But you see, why do we not grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit? The key is what Jesus said. He said the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because they can't. See, the world, they want to see what they're getting. I want to see this. But for us, it's faith. Do not listen to Muzu. Go to the Bible. Romans chapter 8. Shabaraba. Verse 5, message version. Okay. Verse 5, message. Those who think... Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go one verse up. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. You can't do any more efforts. You don't redouble your efforts to get more Holy Spirit. You just embrace Him. How easy is it to embrace Him? Faith. Those who think they can do it in their own, on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. This is the kicker. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them. Living and breathing God. What? Come on, it can't be that easy. Those who trust God's action in them. They find that God is living and breathing inside them. Folks, it's grace. You cannot work for God. I'm sorry if somebody said you can work for God. I, I will apologize on their behalf. Uh, you can't work for God. I'm sorry. He won't allow you to. Like, see, I, I will not allow Liam, my son, to work for me. I may teach him something in my business so that he gains. But he never will work for me. Anyways. Instead of redoubling our efforts, putting in more efforts, let me fast move for the Holy Spirit. Let me worship 20 hours. Let me pray in tongues or something. Let me do something. Money in the offering bag or drink more water. Something for more Holy Spirit. No, doesn't work. You just, <laughs> you just embrace the Holy Spirit. That's it. You can't redouble your efforts. You can't do more to get more. You have to surrender. So you just trust God. I believe you're good. You gave me a word that you're good. Your goodness lives inside of me. Oh my gosh. You're working in me. You're breathing in me. Oh my gosh. 
You guys are shocked because it's that simple. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we are talking about. Oh my gosh. Let's go to verse 15. Uh, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? <laughs> God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Oh, man. I just want to tell you something, guys. You can't strive for more Holy Spirit. You just receive him by grace. In fact, you need grace to receive the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Holy Spirit on your own. So even that work, that little work, he's taken out of the picture. No jobs for you in the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. Only sonship. Only sonship. End of story. Anyways, I'll bring this message to a close. Let's go to Colossians uh, chapter 3. Okay. <clears throat> Who's in Colossians chapter 3? Grace. 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 Colossians chapter 3, message version. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Let's look at it in the Passion. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. That is why, this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. This is the feast. Yes. Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Oh, 
That's a good one. Okay. Let's go to Colossians 2. One chapter before. This way for the smartphones and the Bibles. This is Paul saying, I'm contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's fabric. This will give you access to all the riches of God as you experience the revelation of God's great mystery. Four. Our spiritual wealth is in him like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. Let's go to Proverbs 25. If you are there, just wait there. Uh, what, what I'm bringing it to is this. We're closing with this. Jesus Christ is our secret place. What God has done is that he's taken our life, our old Adamic self, and he's nailed it to the cross. He's crucified it. And he's hidden us in himself. That's what Colossians says when, means when it says, your life is hidden in Christ. Which means Christ is your secret place. You see, when people come looking for you, they can't find you your true life. But if they go to God, they'll find your true life. But even then, your true life is hidden in Christ, your secret place. You see, in, verse, in chapter 2, it says, our spiritual wealth is hidden in God. Wisdom and revelation in another version, it says, it's revelation that never ends. In the beginning, we said God comes with the word. And he releases grace upon grace. And he just keeps taking us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Our life is hidden with Christ. Our spiritual wealth is hidden in him. You won't find it on the earth. You only find it in Christ. And he desires to reveal to you what your spiritual wealth is, wisdom and revelation knowledge. But here's the kicker. Here's the twist. Proverbs 25 verse 2. God conceals the revelation of his word in the hiding place of his glory. But the honor of kings is revealed by how they thoroughly search out the deeper meaning of all that God says. 
God has taken your life and he's hidden it in Christ. <laughs> but it's his nature to do that because it's precious to him. But in you, searching out the depth of his love for you, the depth of what he's hidden for you, in you going the distance with him, in you walking with him in intimacy, in friendship, that he initiated, not you, grace, you just find out more and more and more and more, and it never ends. But as that is unveiled, the revelation of the kingdom and the kingship that he's called you into also comes to the surface. You and I have been called kings and priests to God. But he will only reveal it to you in the hiding place of his glory. The place that he's invited you to go to. So, seek God for all your worth. But don't do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength that he provides. And you'll just find that he smashes you with revelation after revelation, wisdom and more wisdom, grace and more grace, and another one million words that I don't even know. Okay? I'm done. Let's all stand.